Let's pray together as our children leave. We pray for our children, O God, that they might be raised in ways that invite deep faith, a firm foundation that allows them to become all that they can be by your love. And for those of us who remain in this room, we pray for our own openness of spirit and mind to hear what you might say in the ancient text even this day. Through Christ, the living word, we pray. Amen. I have a friend who's been in the market for a home for some time. She has been looking and searching and kind of determining her price range, and she found a great little house. It is uh, in a neighborhood where she wanted to live. It's got a cute little porch on it. It's got some nice features to it. I'll take it, she said. But then the inspector came along, began to look at the house, and among the things the inspector found was that the foundation was crumbling, that the mortar between the bricks had just gone away over the decades. I don't know many of us who have the luxury or the wisdom or the foresight to examine the foundations not only of our homes but of our lives. What is the foundation upon which our lives has been built? It's unfortunately only when we're falling or failing, only when our life is crumbling that we ask these kinds of primal questions. Maybe you've been there before, a moment of sickness or injury or some devastation to your family, perhaps a divorce or a death. Maybe it's been a heartbreak, a disappointment in your life. Maybe it's been an addiction that's just gotten a hold of you and Perhaps it could even be some crisis in the community or in a church that causes you to ask the question, what is the foundation of my life? Now, a lot of people, when they come to this moment, they go and pick up a Bible. Maybe they've stolen one from the hotel that says Gideon on it. Or maybe you have one that's been given to you and you blow the dust off of it and you open it and you think, where do I start? And you go to page one, Genesis chapter one, and you begin to read about the creation of the universe. Perhaps if you're like me, you might think, I don't have time for this. I just need an answer to my problem today. It's like the girl I knew in high school who wanted to get her driver's license. She went to her parents and said, I'm 16, I want to get my license. Her father said, you can get your license, but only after you understand automobiles, by which he didn't mean gas and oil. He meant the combustion engine, carburetors, distributors, uh, the whole drivetrain, axles. I don't have time for that, she said. Or maybe you're the kind of person who reads a story such as the one we read at the beginning of this hour and asks the question, well, who, who wrote this? Where was someone standing to record this? And even if you believe that someone was standing nearby to record this, or if you believe that God somehow dictated to Moses these first five books of the Old Testament, you recognize that there are things in there that are just 
so primitive and scientifically inaccurate or impossible, you recognize that this story is being told from the perspective of someone on planet Earth and Earth alone. We know, of course, that there are billions of stars and billions of galaxies out there that we've never even seen. We can, we can feel and detect their reaction even if, or the, their, their presence and their pull even if we can't see them. So we know that the world is much bigger than this story would suggest. And yet, here it is. What is this? It almost feels like a story that would be told around a campfire. It almost sounds like music. For there's rhythm. There's repetition. It almost feels a bit like poetry. And if you're like me, when you hear the word poetry, perhaps your first reaction is a defensive one. I remember high school poetry vividly. Whose woods these are? I think I know. His house is in the village, though. He will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow. And I thought, well, who cares? <laughs> it, it just felt so oblique. And they would give these interpretations. And I just wanted an answer. I just wanted an answer to a question. And yet, I have to admit, I've had moments in my life, and you have too, where I've been surprised by a line from a poem, or a song, or a tale that's told in such a way as to all of a sudden make things come into alignment and allow you to see things that you weren't able to see before, to open up new vistas of meaning and purpose and joy. It gives you a kind of place to stand, a truth upon which to live, or maybe just a moment. And yet, we Westerners especially tend to read poetry literally, woodenly. We ask the wrong questions. When I was a little boy, my mother made up a song that which she would sing to me when I would get distracted. This was before uh, toys like we have today and video games and TV shows 24 hours a day. And so she made up a little song about a dog named Jack, sat him down on the railroad track and along came a chariot, choo, 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 and cut little Jackie's tail in two. (laughs) You literalists. Well, Jackie cried because it did hurt. He cried and he cried and he cried. And along came a nice man and took him to the doctor. And the doctor put some medicine on little Jackie's tail and he put a Band-Aid around it. And Jackie, he went home. Well, that's just part of the soundtrack of my childhood. So when I had children of my own and needed to sing them to sleep, I sang about a little dog, and his name was Jack, and I sat him. And now I hear my daughter singing that same song to my grandchildren. And only now has it occurred to me to ask, what kind of owner puts a dog on a railroad track? (laughs) And if you have a train running over a dog's tail, it's going to do more than just cut it in half, folks. 
And I want to know what kind of medicine and what kind of band-aid will put a tail back together. We can go in all kinds of directions and forget the story. That this isn't a tutorial about how to be a pet owner. This isn't about medicine. This is a story made, a song made to entertain a little boy. The writers of Genesis, whoever they were in that Babylonian exile period, were asking foundational questions about who are we? Where did we come from? And they had the stories that had been handed to them orally over the, over the centuries for we don't know how long. And these stories told truths that were truer than fact. Can I say that again? Truths that were truer than fact. And they become for us kind of foundational promises to what it means to be the people of God. Why do we come into this place each week? What is it that we're seeking? We're seeking a firm foundation. And the writer of Genesis provides us just that. The writer says there is movement in this world. From the very outset of Genesis, we hear this movement. One who, by a spoken word, creates something out of chaos. Order out of chaos. Life out of no life. Light out of darkness. Community out of just this abandonment and and, and chaos in all of creation. It is to say that there is movement and a direction. I would even say a trajectory to this life from the very beginning. It's ordered in creation that there is this movement. That's a firm foundation. In those moments when we feel like life is going in reverse, the world's going in the wrong direction, and at times it certainly does, we can live in the assurance that the movement, the trajectory, The word of God that calls forth creation moves it ever forward. And not just forward. But when God's word is spoken, there's this harmony. There's this beauty and rhythm and life that is evidenced in what is being created. And so the hymnist long ago wrote, This is my father's world. And to my listening ears, all nature sings. And round me rings the music of the spheres. The, 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 the galaxies out there are all telling the glory of God. This mystery of life. There's beauty and there's harmony to this life. And at times we see it. We see it in a scene uh, at, at a restaurant or, or as we're walking down the street. We see these moments of beauty and it just catches us. And calls us and says to us, this is right and true and beautiful. Maybe it's a garden. Maybe it's a person helping a stranger. Maybe it's some act of self-giving love that no one else will ever see. But you've gotten to see it. And you recognize that's how the world ought to be. That's the direction the world goes. Or there are times when... We recognize that beauty and harmony, not because we see it, but rather because it's absent. It's absent. You look at the news of the day of 
these little Palestinian or Israeli children being held by their parents as their lifeblood flows from them, and you recognize this is not, not what God wants. This is not the harmony, the beauty, the direction of the world. We look at the stories from the border of Texas or New Mexico or Arizona or California. We see these children who have been fleeing from violence and oppression. And no matter what you believe politically, all of us recognize there's something wrong. This is not what God intended for this world And so when people ask me in those kind of situations, where is God? Why doesn't God, where is God? Part of my answer would be this. God is in your recognition that things aren't right. God is in your asking, where is God? Not only do we feel this movement Not only do we feel this harmony and rhythm, but we also see ourselves in the poem. We always love to find ourselves. You take a group picture. The first thing you're going to do when I show you the picture is find yourself in the picture, right? Where am I? How do I look? How's my hair look? You take, you take a bunch of people to the Bats game. The most exciting moment for them is when uh, the camera puts their picture up on the big screen. You've seen it happen. There I am. I see myself. We have this need to locate ourselves, to place ourselves, and to understand how we're connected to everything else. And in the first chapter of Genesis, we see exactly where we are in all of this creation. We're placed among it, and we're given this role to play. And we're created in such a way, I'm sure you heard it, in the image of God. What a statement. From a, from a religion, from a culture that had, even before these words were written, had, had among its Ten Commandments, don't make any graven images of God. These words come. We are made in the image of God. We, like God, can speak and we can be part of this bringing order and life, which is to say that our lives have a certain meaning. I had kind of temporarily lost that meaning about Wednesday of this week. The recent news in our city and last Sunday's front page story brought all week long, a flood of emails to my inbox. I was mostly, I thought I was immune to these uh, emails. But after a while, they accrue, and at, at some point, it becomes a little bit overwhelming. And so I called my friend Bill Johnson over at Crescent Hill Baptist, and I said, would you be free for lunch today? And he said, I am, I'm free for lunch. We met at El Mundo on Frankfurt Avenue, and after we ordered our food and did a little small talk. I just said, man, I'm, I'm feeling disoriented. These emails, I mean, any one of them by themselves, I, I can handle. I can, they kind of roll off me like water off a duck's back. But you start getting into the hundreds, and they start weighing on you. Then I made the mistake of 
pulling out my phone and saying, let's just see how many I've gotten since we've been sitting here. And we read a few of them, and oh, it's sort of like picking at a scab. It never does any good to just keep doing that to yourself. A worker came up to take our empty plates. I looked up at her and smiled. She smiled back, and she looked kind of familiar, but she said to me, it's been a long time since we've seen each other. Now, I'm not the kind of man that that kind of statement would make nervous. You're laughing because some of you are. But as soon as she spoke, I recognized her. I knew that she worshipped here. I hadn't seen her in some years. She had serious medical problems. The medical problems had bled over into emotional problems, which bled over into relationship problems. I knew that her family had uh, pretty well disintegrated, that she and her husband had divorced. So when I asked her how she was doing, she said, I'm doing great. My husband and I are on a two-week reconciliation, and it's going amazing. And we need to be back here at church. We need that foundation for our lives. And as she walked away with our empty plates, I knew my eyes were filling with tears. And Bill, being the kind of guy he is, saw them. And he said to me in that accent of his, Joe, I believe that girl is your angel for this week. (laughs) And she was. I knew my tears were about joy for her, but it was also the fact that she'd been a messenger from God to me. To say that amidst all of the conflict and strife, there is a firm foundation. That life has meaning. It has movement. It has rhythm. It has beauty. It has harmony. And we get to be a part of it. Not just we preachers. We, the people of God. Everyone made in God's image. You and me. Your children and my children. We get to be part of this work. Our lives, our days on this earth aren't perfect and they're not permanent. But they do have purpose. To be part of the the healing, unifying, reconciling work of God, the name of that foundation is part of what we mean by the word God. God. God's not just some man up in the sky. God's not just an omnipotent deity who looks down on creation with judgment. God's not one who is so perfect and finicky, God can't look at sin, sort of like Kathy Collier not being able to look at a mouse. But rather, God is this creative energy of love that is wooing the world forward, ever forward, this pervasive, personal, present energy of love that we recognize as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Jesus Christ, the God who sent the Spirit to be among us. That's who God is.
God is this invitation to see that life and world and creation is going somewhere and that we get invited to be the image of God in this world today. Who is God? God is power and might and authority. But not the kind of power and might and authority that comes with an army or with lots of money or with physical strength, but rather with the power of love. To draw the world, to heal the world, to unify the world. No amount of armies or money or power will unify the world. We can create a detente, but only God can create peace. God is peace. God is the foundation on which we build and live our lives with confidence and peace. That's why we're here. We come here not just to recite these stories out of tradition or nostalgia or obligation. We come into a place like this to hear again who God is and what God has done and what God is doing now. For we believe that God is not done in the world. We've come into this place not to recite history, but to Live from history into this moment, into the future, saying, God is not done. The good news is, the firm foundation of God does not require that we go all the way back to the beginning of creation or even back to the beginning of our lives to start our lives over. We can't do that. All we can do is start where we are with what we have. And so I suggest we do what John Riley did. If you've been in the Highlands and in Louisville very, for many years, you might remember John Riley. He was this crusty old nonconformist who was a staple of the Highlands. He owns the corner where Matteo's Pizza is now. There was his auto repair shop and used car lot there for many years, you remember that institutional green cinder block building. He's owned that corner for over 50 years. There was actually a, a historic building on the corner. And one night, John Riley came with a bulldozer and just knocked it over. So now we have a parking lot on that corner. That's the kind of guy John Riley is. And so when the city told him, now, John, if you tear down this cinder block building, to, to, to remodel your, your, facility, your place, you're going to have to build it up closer to Bardstown Road. And, oh, by the way, you won't be able to build it as large as the, the facility you have now. And so John Riley said, that ain't going to happen. His problem was, though, he was going to have to tear it down because there was no firm foundation under the cinder block building. There's just a little bit of footer, footing and not much more. It would never have passed code. So here's what he did. He took the space that he had, and five, in sections of five feet at a time, he would dig down six feet below the, the, uh, the cinder block wall and build a foundation from the bottom up, making a foundation under an existing building, all the way around the perimeter of the building until he had the firm foundation that was required. That's not how we'd build a building from scratch. But he wasn't building from scratch. 
which is true of you and me. We're not building from scratch. We're starting with where we are today so we can dig one section at a time around our life, around the perimeter of our life, and invite God, the mystery of life, to come in and shore us up. Give us that foundation of who we are and how we relate to this world and the fact that God is in and through and with every piece of this creation and that you and I, made in the image of God, can be part of the ongoing of creation. For you see, many people think that you and I live in what's called the eighth day of creation. After that seventh day, God continues to create. Well, if you read your Bible, you might start at Genesis 1. And if you can make it all the way to the end, to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, the last chapter, one of the last words are these, the words of Jesus saying, Behold, I'm making all things new. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Beautiful God, ever-present, ever-creating, allow us as individuals and as a community of faith to so build our lives, our values, our witness, our actions, our words upon who you are and what you are doing that we can live with deep and abiding confidence. To you now be glory and honor forever and ever. And all God's people say, Amen.